they lead. You might even know their faces, but do you know why they are difference makers? Hi, I'm Adam Van Bremer, the editorial page editor of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. Welcome to Difference Makers, a podcast that explores the methods behind success and gives you a whole new perspective in business, leadership, and this community. Today's episode features Max and Alicia Howe, Savannah's newest technology power couple. They are the founders of CodeBase Savannah, a mobile app development shop that doubles as an educational institution specializing in accelerated learning. They moved to Savannah about two years ago from Silicon Valley and have been on the leading edge of app development before any of us knew what an app was. Over the next 30 minutes, they will share insights on technology trends, Savannah's evolving place in the tech world, and how to solve a growing problem, the labor shortage in the digital media and app development space. Welcome back to Difference Makers, joined today by Max and Alicia Howell of CodeBase here in Savannah. As is our custom here on the program, we want to start a little bit to get to know them a little bit better, a little bit more of a bio. Uh, as I'm sure you'll hear here when they start talking, Max is, is from the UK and uh, Alicia is, is American-born. So can you kind of talk about uh, how, your cro- how your paths crossed um, sure. So I uh, actually studied journalism in Indiana and secondary education, and I finished student teaching and decided I hated both journalism and secondary education. Watch it now. <laughs> journalism degree. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm back. I'm a supporter now, I believe. So um, I had wanted to study abroad during my uh, undergraduate experience, but... I didn't want to do it in the context of a study abroad program. I thought there was more to be gained by going myself. At the time, there was a work visa where you could go over for six months and work and then come back. So I went. I stayed for six months. I ended up staying six years. Um, I was ready to leave after three, and then I met this one. And so I stayed for three more, and finally uh, the weather was too much. So... (laughs) <laughs> did I read you got a screenwriting degree? I did. I did a master's in screenwriting at the University of Westminster in London. They don't have mascots or anything fun, so I can't <laughs> say, like, I don't know. I don't know what I would say. Go. Uh, Crown Jewel? <laughs> yeah. Is it near Tower of London? <laughs> Go beef eaters. There you go. There you go. go. <laughs> and Max, obviously you were there. She came to you. What uh, What were you doing over there? And... Um, well, I was working in London, which was convenient, since that's where Alicia was. <laughs> and uh, at the time I was working at Last Femme, which was a music startup that mm-hmm. did, uh, it was like Web 2 for music. It's Web 2.0, when people used to call it that, which mm-hmm. is kind of a dated phrase now for music. It was a streaming music service where it recorded everything you ever listened to and then tried to give you recommendations, which it wasn't very good at, to be mm. honest. Based on an algorithm? or how? Did yeah, it, it was an algorithm. Uh, not a great algorithm. It was most like the people who worked there were music scientists. They actually had degrees in music science, and they were convinced that the best way to figure out... Uh, what music was related was via the tags that people gave the music and people gave the the music really bad tags uh, most of the time so I didn't think it was a very good approach a bit more algorithmic analysis would have been better in my opinion but they were obsessed with tags so that's what they did one of the cool things about Last FM though was you would have your friends and you could go onto their profile and you could see what they were listening to 
live. Yeah. So if it was you, called Scrobbling. Yeah. Invented by a uh, student at, I forget what university RJ went to, but he made it and then like this company in London like saw what he'd done and immediately gave him a bunch of stock so that he could become part of a founder of Last Femme. And uh, Scrobbling was really the best thing that Last Femme has. Uh, I think everyone still agrees on that. It still exists, more or less. It was acquired by CBS in 2008, no, 2007, for $280 million back in the era of, like, startups being acquired for ludicrous amounts of money. So I know that, and I I may be butchering this, but I I do believe that one of the more popular streaming music services, they basically, they take an artist and they have a bunch of people in a room and they sit there and try to decide which artist sounds like this artist and match them up. And and it's not very scientific at all. I don't know if you, that's not an algorithm, obviously, but... uh, uh, I would seem to introduce some biases, so I assume that your algorithm at your place was a little bit more. Well, it wasn't because it was yeah. using the tags. <laughs> yeah. so User-generated tags. It was uh, insanely biased. Like a good algorithm nowadays would do a musical analysis on mm-hmm. all the tracks in the world, and that's probably why no one's done it, because it's prohibitively expensive to do something like that. But you could, like put it in the client maybe so that everyone else's computers has to pay for it um that that would probably especially with nowadays in the era of machine learning and artificial intelligence that we have that it would probably do a pretty great job nowadays but yeah like i I don't know what spotify is doing with their like discover weekly because everyone seems to think that one's the best i i think it's just as just another last fem really for me (laughs) recommendations so you listen to foo fighters therefore you're like the Boo Biters, etc. <laughs> so uh, from there, you got into to app development, and I have a feeling that at the time there was no such thing as app development, right? Because no. no such thing as an app. Can, it was can uh, last time when that? the uh, iPhone was unveiled, and right. we all watched the keynote because the hype building up to it had been enormous. And I like, watched Steve Jobs unveil the iPhone, and like with gasps on our faces. And so immediately, the company decided to build an app. So that's how I got into apps. Very fortunately, straight at the beginning, which means that. Uh, have like more experience than the vast majority of people in this industry because right from the word go we were building that app even before the official sdk was released by apple this was the unofficial one decompiled by people at google and facebook and other open source engineers around the world pulled them apart and figured out how to put them back together reverse engineered like it's as though like tesla released a new car and you couldn't get into it but they figured out how to get into it figured out how it worked rebuilt it for the non-tech people uh, among us Developing an app, is it much different than developing a, a website? Yes, because web technologies are terrible. <laughs> uh, but no, it's the same kind of process. Right. You moved from the UK back, and eventually you landed in, in Silicon Valley. And uh, I know you guys were there for a while. Um, and was it culture shock? What Can you kind of share with us here what on the East Coast what it was like in Silicon Valley? We weren't there for a very long while. That wasn't an accident. Max ended up receiving an offer of employment at one of the large tech companies out there and it seemed like a really good opportunity and we got there and after about three days we discovered that it wasn't for us we were late to the party the cost of living is just so astronomical like you're making six figures and you're still poor and the thing they don't tell you is if you're a spouse or a partner of a tech employee you're competing with a bunch of other educated partners and spouses of tech employees for minimum wage jobs. So I was working at a used bookstore in Mountain View, home of Google HQ, for $11 an hour Mm -hmm. when our rent was almost five grand a month. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I might as well not have been working, but um, it was probably the best job I've ever had, actually. Yeah, I'd love to have a bookstore yeah. someday. Yeah, it was great. It was good. I had a good really, experience in that respect. Yeah, I had a really good time working there. I, I did not have a good time working. No, there, so. thus the decision to yeah. move on. We had been in Chicago previously and considered moving back there. Then remembered how cold it was mm. and changed our minds. And um, I have family in the area. We'd visited Savannah a couple times. Um, and Max said one day, why don't we just go to Savannah? And so we Googled tech scene Savannah and there were results. So that informed our decision yeah. to move here, such as it was. Well, we like the way that Savannah's tech scene seemed to be on the rise. And right. having come from where, like, supposedly the tech scene is the biggest in the world and found it disappointing mm -hmm. and uh, ridiculous is a word I would use to describe the Silicon Valley <laughs> tech scene. We wanted to be somewhere where we uh, could, like, be part of the progression forward. Yeah, make a little bit of an impact. I mean... <laughs> In Savannah, tech isn't a huge part of the conversation. Um, we'd like to see that change, but in Silicon Valley, it's the only conversation. Right. I can't even begin to describe how many, like, just borderline silly conversations I overheard over my morning coffee about <laughs> the social media app that was going to revolutionize X. Okay. I kind of wanted to turn and say, but, like, not really, <laughs> actually, right? Probably not, but it's nice for people to have dreams and aspirations, but I think maybe those dreams and aspirations have become misplaced due to the amount of venture capital that was blown on products that were also borderline silly. Right. Yeah. Like Silicon Valley's dried up. Like when the iPhone came out, it was at the end of the Web 2.0 era, and uh, there was like huge push forward and innovation progression. Things like Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, like these great innovations that have changed the world for the better and the worse, but they definitely changed the world. I think that that stuff's dried up. There's nothing left. And especially in the bubble that the valley exists within, it perpetuates its own path of making nonsense, really. Um, you see, I disagree. I think there's a lot of room for really good, groundbreaking, game-changing innovation, but I'm not sure social media is the playground yeah, for just, that anymore. That's what I mean. It's the valley. They're focusing on that sort of thing. Yeah, like get, get gaining user share and... Um, That's all that matters. Hmm. It's been that way for a long time. Engaging but. as much participation as possible. The quality of that participation mm. matters not. Yeah, totally. Like, <laughs> was their user share, their user stats that yeah. they didn't like boast about. So that and like as you said earlier, get the users and then figure out how to monetize later. Like, there was never a business model for any of these companies. Like mostly it was get acquired at some point. Mm -hmm. Just let's see if it works and then see what happens after that. Whereas right. like fields like education and medicine and logistics <laughs> could use some good innovation to push those fields forward but i think those are coming next yes two yeah. areas like where we are yeah as i say that's that's a big opportunity here correct it's mm -hmm. oh for sure uh, the, the plus and the minus of, of coming from a very mature market to, to one that's not is, is is it's wide open you can kind of kind of carve your own niche but at the same time you don't necessarily have the uh the support or the the pillars here to build on since you've been here what where has the balance come in that, and, and how have you gotten to where you are now? Um, we launched uh, our business, Codebase, in February 
2017, and actually the community has been really helpful and supportive of what we want to try to make happen in Savannah. Um, What we want to try to make happen is increase opportunities for people to have lucrative jobs without um, having to, you know, drop tens of thousands of dollars on a four-year degree if they're not able to do so, and to make Savannah more of a center for technology in the South. Like, the infrastructure is here. We just have to create opportunities for people to work and make money doing these jobs and also inspire uh, would-be founders to either relocate to Savannah and headquarter here or to build up their own business ideas if they're already here. Um, Right now, there's not a lot of support surrounding the entrepreneurial ecosystem in that way, but we think it's going to change. Um, in a way, entrepreneurs don't even need support. They just want somewhere they can work. And uh, this is one of the reasons we move to Savannah. Like nowadays in tech, you can be anywhere. You don't need to be somewhere expensive or even surrounded by people who are of a similar kind of knowledge and uh, experience as you. Like, uh, dare I say, Slack like makes it possible to work anywhere with people that are also anywhere. Yes. Um, the crux of business used to be commercial real estate, but now you can work anywhere with a laptop and a Wi-Fi connection and a dream. Well, there's digital nomads, as they call themselves, that don't have homes, and they just tour the whole world, staying in different, like, cheap accommodations and earning a good salary because tech does pay well. So uh, I think, like, entrepreneurs would just move here because Savannah's beautiful. There's not many cities like this in the United States. Mm -hmm. So you can find inspiration wherever you are rather than try to uh, congregate with like-minded people to inspire each other. Mm -hmm. Well, I think having a community is still important for people. Like, no digital nomads would want to come to Savannah if there was nobody else doing stuff and innovating here. You still want to hang out with some people at the wormhole or whatever. (laughs) Well, maybe not the wormhole (laughs) for me. (laughs) Sorry, wormhole. Um, (laughs) Maybe, like, two tides. Two tides is cool. They're innovating. They're taking the... The new beer laws by the horns and making good there. stuff for everybody. Yeah, it seems like there's several places like that around town. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So tell us a little bit about uh, about CoBase. I know we've had several things in, in a newspaper about the business and, and what you guys are trying to accomplish. Just kind of give us some background and tell us what it's about. Sure. We are a mobile app development shop, so we build apps for smartphones on the iOS and Android platforms, and we train our own talent. So we have a nine-week iOS training course where we teach you how to build apps in Swift, and then there are opportunities immediately afterwards for you to take on client projects and make money. So we're offering the education and the placement opportunities. And the idea is for the people who finish the course, take on these client projects, spend a few years in our apprenticeship program, and then go off to work either on your own things or on a larger company. company (laughs) Yeah. So I know some of the larger tech, uh, not I guess strictly tech companies, but some of the larger companies who have mobile products in this area won't even look twice at you unless you have three years of experience. So where does a junior developer acquire that experience? They can contribute to open source projects on the internet, or they can do a program like ours where you have opportunities for work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
because um, the boot camp system that flourished over the last five years or so was partly because of the boom in need for development because of smartphones, because of the iPhone. Uh, but at the, at the end of the day, eight, nine weeks of training is just not enough to go and get a career afterwards. Now, it was the case that we knew a lot of people who were able to get careers afterwards. They had the charisma to get themselves in those positions. But also, there was just such a deficit of people in this industry and so much demand for work that they were able to. And that's mm-hmm. still the case to a good extent, but like, there's nothing like three years of experience. And we think three years of experience is enough, uh, more valuable even than a computer science degree or something like that. Mm-hmm. How much... Have you found you have to explain kind of what you're offering to people here locally, or is there a good understanding? Uh, there is a lot of education that goes into our pitch. And even on the, the app development side, when we have clients who come to us who want to have an app made, many of them have no experience in the digital space. So it becomes very like going back to the basics and a lot of leading through things that people who are part of the startup ecosystem in larger cities just inherently know, either because they've learned or they've read the right books or they've just been part of the pitch circuit for such a long time. So um, yes, we've had to uh, provide a little bit of guidance along the way, but um, we knew that was going to be the case before we got here and we don't mind doing it. Where we don't enjoy doing it is where people aren't coachable. Right. We're going to dive pretty deeply into some tech topics here in just a moment, but uh, we're going to take a minute and catch our breaths and we'll be back just a second. Difference Makers is a production of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com website. Want 24-7 access to the best in local news, commentary, sports, and arts and culture? Sign up now for a digital subscription to SavannahNow.com and take advantage of a special offer. Get full access to the website's content for $8.30 a month when you sign up for a full year. That's more than $3 off the regular month-to-month rate. Stay informed. Subscribe to savannahnow.com. Call Rodney Phillips at 912-652-0404. That's 912-652-0404 to take advantage of this introductory offer. Welcome back to Difference Makers. Joined again today by uh, Max and Alicia Howe with Codebase Savannah. And we're going to get into our nerding out section now. Yes. Dive kind of te- deeply into some uh, some technology <laughs> topics. We don't call it nerding out just because it's technology. We always call it that, whether uh-huh. it's education or tourism or anything else. Yeah, that's more a reference to me than anything else. Well, let's start a little bit about Codebases. It also has an education side to it. It has an app development side to it, which brings two topics to mind: is the whole idea of how antiquated higher ed might be, and then the other idea is computer science versus web development or how valuable is computer science. So let's start with the higher ed side of it. And Alicia, I know that's you have quite a background on that side. I guess what are some of the, the shortcomings with higher ed and, and how do you think, especially on the technology side, people are, are dealing with it now or advancing advancing into their careers? I do indeed have experience in higher ed, probably about 12-ish years at this point in higher education admissions and administration. Um, I will say a lot of shady stuff happens in admissions. So because we live in a country where the quality of your education sometimes can depend on how much money your family has and who your family is rather than your individual merits 
as a student, uh, that's not exactly fair. However, that's a conversation for another time. What is a little bit more disturbing, I guess, about higher education as it stands today is that it's becoming prohibitively expensive for kids to go to college and families to afford to send their kids to college. Now, I think the last time I looked, a semester at an in-state university in Georgia, including room and board, was creeping up on 10 grand. So you're looking at 20 grand a year to send your kid to an institution. In 2011, there was a study that a couple of sociologists conducted called Academically Adrift. And that study showed surveying tens of thousands of students across many college campuses across the United States that about 50% of college grads come out of their undergraduate education with no market improvement in a variety of skills. So it's just become this rite of passage and a holding tank for young people to find themselves. And yeah, (laughs) well, (laughs) perhaps. So... What is the real value of higher education? Well, the real value is that a bachelor's degree is the key to the kingdom to getting employed much of the time. Uh, My work visa that I traveled to the UK with, I had to have a bachelor's degree to do that. Is there a reason? Probably not. The subject of my undergraduate studies had no bearing. It was just, did I have a degree? Mm. And I think having a degree is... An employer's way of testing you for things unrelated to your field of study. So, are you able to complete projects? Are you willing to invest in your education? Are you um, able to get things done? Yeah. So, do I think that the price tag on that should be $20,000 a year? No. (laughs) I do not. So... Um, What we're hoping to do at Codebase is to provide viable educational opportunities that are less costly and offer direct paths to placement, which then translate to direct paths to industry employment. Is it, it? I guess it's a reality in days in today's world that the the traditional liberal arts degree, as you said, may may not have the value. Even in this era of, of basically zero unemployment, at least as we're sitting here today, there's a short. There, we've gotten to the point where there's a shortage in jobs, but most of those jobs are trade jobs mm-hmm. or computer development mm-hmm. jobs or or what have you. And I guess. From you guys' perspective, where do you see, can we anticipate a shift in more young people and more parents kind of recognizing that? And will we see a swing to start filling these these jobs where there's a need? You know, I won't crap all over a liberal arts education. I do think that there is a lot of intrinsic value in reading and thinking about the human condition and discovering your interests. Um But again, I think those things are things that you can do in a self-directed way Mm -hmm. where you don't have to pay the cost of tuition in order to reap those benefits from your education. Information is free. We have information at our fingertips all the time. So um, I forgot the tail end of your question. I can't remember. (laughs) Do you remember, Max? um... Oh, can we anticipate a shift? Um, Well, the reality is software development is a trade. Mm -hmm. 
And now people, students are leaving, graduating from their liberal arts education. They are discovering that they need practical skills, and many of those people are going to institutions like ours to gain experience in programming. Could they have bypassed their liberal arts degree and come to us first <laughs> and then made a whole bunch of money and then taken a few well, months they, off and gone to Bali? and all those life experiences. <laughs> One of the things you can get in college, of course, is a computer science degree. And to kind of segue Mm. into that, uh, I know from... We had we had lunch before we sat down, and, and I got an earful about computer science, and I, I feel much more educated about it now. And Max, how not to, as Alicia said, not to crap all over something, but crap away, I guess, when it comes to computer science. Uh, I'm known for crapping on this subject. <laughs> well, I'm self-taught as a programmer. I have a chemistry degree, because so I thought I wanted to... Make time machines. Yeah, I, I thought that the way to change the world was science. You go out there, and so I did a year in industry, and I just discovered that most of science and industry is very, very tedious work without any real purpose that may or may not do something that may improve the machinery or process of whatever company you're working for. Like, it wasn't what I expected. So I started teaching myself to code in my spare time. It was a hobby I'd had before, admittedly. Like, in fact, my dad had started teaching me to program when I was six. So it's not as though, like, I came at it with nothing. Mm-hmm. But it really had always been, as far as I was concerned, and partly because of how people think about programming, um, something that I wasn't going to make a career out of. Hmm. Uh, I was going to do science or English or math or history or whatever, uh, because those are proper subjects. Uh, So when I discovered the science sucked, I fell back on hobbies and uh, I got into the open source community and started teaching myself to make apps. And this is part of the reason we do what we do, because... I know that you can teach yourself or get there without explicit training. And, well, frankly, computer science doesn't teach you how to make things. Right. It doesn't teach you how to create or engineer or the processes behind building things in teams. The problems are very artificial, like math problems. It's like you have to solve the Fibonacci <laughs> sequence or something. Yeah. This is not stuff that you do when Jen you're Jen and creating. Ken are on a train. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it doesn't teach you anything. It, it certainly teaches you to program. But you don't need a computer science degree to teach you that. And there isn't really any degree that I feel that I'd recommend. Mm-hmm. Like having met people straight out of computer science degrees, I wouldn't hire them. I don't think that they know how to build apps. Unless I saw some like reason that, you know, because it's great. They can program for sure. Like, that's great. Ideally. Um, like, programming is something that takes five, ten years to learn or to master anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, probably two to three to get pretty good at. Uh, so they got that down. But they don't know how to build things, and that's what our profession is. It's a creative profession. We're trying to make products for people that people need to use. We're doing it in teams. We need people to be able to work together, to communicate together, to have these soft skills. Uh, We need them to have a sense of product and design, like all these other skills. And the best way i found that you learn that is by getting on with it. Spirit of entrepreneurship, I think, is something that that was mentioned earlier and I'm one of these people that I'm always amazed that somebody has thought about what I need before I actually know that I need it and that obviously is a big part of app development and from your perspective where does that kind of spirit where does that kind of thinking come from is it just because they're technologists and they're thinking ahead anyway yeah like in tech you have to keep an eye on the horizon because otherwise you might find that when you get there you don't have a job anymore so that certainly keeps us in the game in that respect thinking to the future but also like typically this attracts people who like to think to the future anyway because you're always building like the next thing and programming and development are extremely quick 
industry. So that's part of the appeal. Like if you build uh, cars, it takes 10 years to design, manufacture, plan for a car. You can build an app in like a couple of weeks. It's not a good app at that point, but it's a prototype proving its value so fast. There's no material costs. There's the tool costs are very low. All you need is a computer. So you, it tends to push people to like trying new things out. There's no real cost to trying out new things. And so you end up thinking of, the next thing or what people and uh when you're in um when you're manufacturing vehicles or any product for human consumption you're also met with regulatory hurdles that are largely don't affect the tech industry yeah, unless you're working in a particular segment of there, the there tech will industry be more and more regulation oh yeah for sure people are starting to notice that having regulation <laughs> can lead to bad things but so. currently it's pretty easy to just churn out products yeah. and see what happens and then either sell them or adapt with the times but one of the things you're talking about earlier was how uh, everyone has something that they need and chances are there's going to be other people around that also need that thing and with software it's just so trivial to try out building that thing you need right Right. so adam an example that you gave was you you didn't know what to feed your kids last night for dinner so people are solving that problem for you you can you know order your groceries and somebody will go and pick them up and bring them so you don't have to put the kids in the car you can have them within an hour or you can subscribe to a service where they deliver three meals a week for however many people you want with the recipe right there and the exact amounts of everything you need so you don't have a cupboard full of spices that you're never going to use again exactly Um, like some tech person had this problem and then they were a tech person so they were like I could just build this and so they probably talked about it with some of their friends and like they were like yes great idea build it and so they built it and like big products like Uber probably exactly the same scenario happened and tech's unique in that respect like if, if you have a disease you can't just say well maybe I should try and make a medicine for that you need like a huge amount of like Real. This is an area where you do need a degree in order to make a medicine. (laughs) But it's not the case with tech. You can just be someone who has a little experience, so you know how to start. And like practical experience is the best way to know how to start building apps. Not these degree programs. Mm -hmm. They don't teach you that. They don't teach you how to make things. They just teach you how to solve like very specific problems. And it's not as though the world doesn't need computer scientists. Artificial intelligence, machine learning, people who make the Google search engine, people who make the Facebook like algorithms that figure out like whether or not you want to see that awful fake news article. These are computer scientists. You, the world does need some, but not all of them. Most most of these people are just engineers. And with all of that demand and all for these for these engineers, we're facing a shortage, right? How do we how do we as a as a country, as a society, address the shortage, the labor shortage, when it comes to technology and, in particular, app development? Well, like with many things, it starts with the children. (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, when I was a kid, we, it was when computers were much bigger and uglier than they are now, but I, I do remember doing stuff on the computer when I was in middle school and really enjoying it, but I kind of thought, well... Computer science, um, the computer science room at my high school was a windowless little room, like 
filled with nerds and it just didn't sound like something that I would be interested in. So I think that stigma is changing, but continuing to emphasize the changing of that stigma to make it an attractive profession for kids, make them think that it's not just all math, because it's quite it's not. not. There is some, there's, there's no doubt. <laughs> I discovered this with one of our apprentices. I kept telling her that there wasn't that much math in it, and then like every other day there was a bunch of math. And I was like, oh, there's more math in this than I thought. But it's not complicated math anyway. Like You should be able to do it if you you're, you can do some addition, subtraction, multiplication, just thinking about if you... Uh, like Mostly programming is logic. Mm-hmm. Sorry to interrupt. The steam and stem movement, I mm-hmm. guess, is what we would... What we could refer to it as is it it's obviously it's it's helping it's building a base it, but is it something that that needs to step up its game a little bit per se um probably i've uh, received some information recently that the computer science isn't widely taught in savannah chatham county public schools and i imagine in a lot of school districts that are experiencing issues with where are we going to spend our money Budget, yeah. um yeah investing in one class isn't often very attractive but what if they should call it something else for a start yeah don't call it computer science call it app development or making apps or being awesome don't call it programming (laughs) as i said i never i never considered programming for a career and now this is my career and it's because of the stigma surrounding it like i always thought it's just a bunch of geeks that it was, uh, you know, they would, it, I'd have trouble in life with friends and family and relationships because of my choice of career. Like I, I said this earlier, you know, during our lunch, but like for me, like the example is the Jurassic Park programmer guy who was okay. like everyone's least favorite character. He was gross and geeky and rude. The original Jurassic Park, right? Yeah, We're talking yeah, about yeah. Newman yeah. from Seinfeld. Five or whatever. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, was it him? Yeah. yeah it was. Mm-hmm. Funny how you don't notice those things. And uh, so, you know, it makes people think that uh, this is a career that is for people who can't win right. in life. <laughs> or for, for people who have no well, social changing. graces or skills, yes. whereas that is super important in the tech industry, actually. Yeah. And if you look at, like, the modern tech industry, if you look at the pages of people who are working there, you'll see, like, cool people yeah. like uh, who uh, have many different interests yeah. and skills because that's what you need to build apps, really. Yeah. Now, if you look on... Google's staff sheet is different. They have a lot of computer scientists. They need a lot of computer scientists. But if you're talking about like a dev shop, an app development firm, just people who build software in general, like for people. Or even in the startup ecosystem, even locally and regionally, like there's a lot of cool people Mm -hmm. who are very good communicators and are doing neat things. Right, to be successful in this industry. I think. (laughs) changing that perception of what it is and really it's just like a matter of probably introducing these kids to like we did a, a thing for a bunch of kids a few months back we did a presentation about oh yeah we um we presented to some elementary school aged kids at the pulse uh, art and technology festival at right. the telfair museum and we put together this presentation and we wanted to show the kids that all of the apps that they use on their parents' phones all the time are made by actual people, and those people could be them. So at the end, we showed some apps that had been built and developed by kids. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, we had like a, a slide deck and showed the logo of apps without any identifying text and 
told them we were going to ask for volunteers to say what it was. And we expected, you know, a few shy raised hands and that is not what happened. (laughs) They were just shouting the names of the apps. Like, apps are cool. Mm -hmm. It also demonstrates that the solutions, whatever the product is offering, are long term rather than just something that's being rolled out in order to get that big exit in order to move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. Like in the important industries where innovation is so needed, there's not a lot of room for quick exits and products that don't have longevity. Yeah. Max and Alicia, thanks very much for coming in. It's been an interesting talk. And I think a a year or two down the road Mm -hmm. when this town is, uh, as the pace of technology Have us again and we'll talk about this conversation. Revisit this and it'll probably (laughs) be out of date, right? (laughs) That's right. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it.